Well, welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. Show might be a little different than usual, but we'll see how that uh, how that goes. I usually start off with a weather report down here in Southwest Florida as we head into our rainy season. We have a severe thunderstorm warning tonight until around 9.35. So if we go dark, it's because we have uh, been shut down by Mother Nature. So the dog is at least Bahama, our sweet chocolate lab. She is a, has been properly medicated for the evening, so aside from that, all is good here. I hope all is good where you are. So I'm going uh, this evening, if, uh, if anyone has read my blog, it's been a Vicodin kind of week was the headline for my blog today. So I'll be, I'm been going to do my Rush Limbaugh imitation, not the uh, crazy rant and hair-pulling shit that Rush has become famous for, but that other part of Rush Limbaugh's fame when for a couple of years there, he was eating the equivalent of one Vicodin prescription a day, 20 to 30 pills, back when Rush Limbaugh was a morphine junkie and nobody knew. It's kind of old news, but it's still relevant. So that's the part, that's the part of Rush Limbaugh that I'm going to be imitating tonight, his, his medication side. Um... Back in 1998, I had back surgery. I had a pretty severely blown disc in the L5 region of my spine. And after about three weeks of the worst pain one can imagine, the neurosurgeon finally decided that it was surgery or be a cripple. So I went to the surgery route, it worked, I was very glad. And it was, uh, like I said, 11 years ago. Um, but uh, ever since, you know, my back will go out a few times a year. And when it does, uh, rather than play hurt, to use a sports metaphor, um, I'm, I'm a sissy. So I have a, a very progressive doctor who believes in opiate pain management. And... Uh, Whenever the, my back goes out, I have a uh, few days prescription from my doctor to get me through it. So this past Sunday, I don't know what it was that I did. I think it was because I fell asleep in the chair in my den watching the TV. And I must have slept a little funny, so <clears throat> I threw my back out. And I've been eating uh, Vicodins like M&M's. Since Monday, so <laughs> I guess that's a full confession, but it's more than Rush Limbaugh gave when he was uh, opiated out for a couple of years. But the interesting thing about all of that and was that uh, nobody knew Rush Limbaugh sounded just like Rush always did, and I thought it was a pretty, uh, pretty stellar performance when it comes to the drug aspect of it for that two-year period of time. 
None of Rush Limbaugh's followers, affectionately known as Ditto Heads, none of them uh, could sense that their their fearless leader was whacked out on semi-synthetic morphine. His musings and wittiness stemmed and flowed from a uh, brain soaked in opiates. So I'm not doing 20 or 30 pills a day, that's for certain. But I do have that opiate edge this evening. So I thought I'd make that disclosure up front. So I'll be doing my, like I said, my Rush Limbaugh imitation. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to Big Alice. Big Alice uh, was our mother. And uh, three years ago today, she passed away. So, Big Alice, this show is dedicated to you. So we have a, uh, a couple of things. It might be a shorter than usual show this evening. It depends on how the, the poppy propels me, so to speak. But I would like to have uh, people call in anytime they like. Uh, the number here at the Opium Den is 727-493-2205. Or if you're a Skyper, my Skype ID is the New Libertarian. It's right there on the on my homepage, listed under How to Listen Live. So give us a call with a comment, uh, complaint, uh, any any information that you would like to share with the listening audience tonight. Again, the number is seven two seven four nine three two two zero five, or my you can call me on Skype. My Skype ID is. The New Libertarian. And as always, you can click the email Daniel button on the homepage and send an email through and we'll read it on the air. If you don't feel like hearing yourself on the radio, send us an email. But we we like the phone calls. We like to talk to people. And especially tonight when I'm in that particular frame of mind. And by the way, my back feels pretty good. I think this will probably be the last day that I need to take my meds. It's usually anywhere from three to five days, and then it passes. So thanks for thinking about me uh, or asking, but uh, I think I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm through, uh, through the, the most of this. So anyway, um, what I'd like to talk about tonight, there's a few things that have gone on in the... Uh, in the drug world, um, we had the holiday weekend, so it's been kind of a slow, slow week in drugs. We've had uh, the revelations uh, about Michael Jackson and his drug use. Uh, we'll just speak of him as a known celebrity with a drug problem. We'll not get into the greatness of Michael Jackson as far as a performer is concerned or the the despicable Michael Jackson with his uh, interesting affinity for young children. We're just going to speak about Michael Jackson and the drug addict. Apparently the uh, the autopsy revealed that Michael Jackson's arms were riddled with needle marks 
And uh, this is kind of an interesting side note. Uh, he was almost completely bald. I don't know if that uh, factor of his drug use or not, or just all the other things catching up with him. But the, uh, the interesting note is that uh, his arms were riddled with needle marks. So apparently, Michael was an intravenous drug user. Oh, we have a call coming in. How about that? Let me get this. You're inside the opium den. Who's this? This is Luke from Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Luke, how you doing? Pretty good. What's going on in your world, Luke? This is Luke for all of your other listeners, a friend of mine fellow libertarian and all-around good guy. So what's going on in your world, Luke? Oh, a couple things. I'm here in Dallas, Texas right now. I've been down here for a couple weeks for work. Uh, Looking forward to going home. How hot is it there in Dallas? It was 102 earlier when I walked to the gas station to pick up a couple cans of Red Bull Cola. (laughs) Red Bull Simply Cola, huh? Yeah. Oh, Luke, you're killing me. Huh? I love this stuff. Really? uh, You've uh, been a fan of Simply Cola for a while, or did I turn you on to it? I think you turned me on to it. I went out and, and bought some, and read the ingredients, and I'm I'm pretty happy that it's uh, mostly or completely natural and doesn't have a bunch of the uh, junk that regular cola has in it. Yeah, if you look at if you, if you look, if you compare the ingredients on a can of classic Coke and a can of Red Bull Simply Cola, there is a a definite uh, noticeable difference between the two. Coca Cola's got a lot of shit you can't pronounce, and Simply Cola's got a lot of things that you can pronounce, and they're all natural. So that is a good, good point to bring up. Yeah, but I one thing I have noticed is when I drink it, I can't really sit still. I don't, not sure if that's caffeine in it or what. But well, you know the power, little... the power of suggestion is very, very strong. But uh, yeah, I think there is a little boost to it. I, I drank a can of it last week and. Um, I didn't really notice. I drank it on the air as an experiment, and I didn't notice that much of a difference. But uh, I noticed that there was a more a more formidable buzz than I get with just a, a regular can of classic Coke. So, what do you think it tastes like? How, do you like the taste? Um, I do. It's a little different. Um, I notice um, when I'm smoking a cigarette, it makes it taste a little different as well. So you're combining vices this evening, huh? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, that's my boy, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I read that on your blog about the back, and glad to hear it's feeling a little better. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, like I said at the top of the show, I'm doing my Rush Limbaugh imitation. I'm all juiced up on opiates tonight, trying to sound coherent. <laughs> of course, I don't know if I ever sound coherent or not, so this could be a false test. I don't know. So, what? Uh, tell me what. Uh, tell me what's going on. What do you think about uh, anything in politics? That uh, I know you're you follow that a lot. What's what are you thinking about uh, with the CIA thing going on with the little pissing contest between Panetta and Boehner and Pelosi? You following that at all? I'm not following that really, but they'll they'll always find something to bitch about. And it's always one one side against another. It seems like, and 
don't know. I, I haven't really been following that too much because it just seems like more of the same. Makes your head hurt, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These crazy fuckers. I mean, you know, the place is, the house is burning down and they're, and they're arguing who gets to drive the fire truck. You know, it's just like, what the hell is going on? And our, and our boy, our boy Barack... Like I said, he's he's been a disappointment to me on a number of levels, but this this drug thing is just making me crazy. You following the Jim Webb thing? You know about Jim Webb's uh, National Criminal Justice Commission Act deal? Um, no, I don't. But it sounds like I should. Well, what do you? Well, <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. I I've been around a <laughs> I've been around a long time, Luke, and I've seen all these blue ribbon commissions. A lot of these blue ribbon commissions come and go, and you know, not just the ones on drugs, but there's been a variety, and generally they're they're stalling tactics, and whether they're good or bad, they're generally ignored. So I don't have a whole lot of faith. What the deal is with Senator Jim Webb has proposed legislation is called the National Criminal Justice Act of uh, 2009, and it's supposed to be a comprehensive study on the criminal justice system and. Uh, an overhaul and, and a large part of it, although I think it should be completely focused on, on the issue of drugs, but a large part of it uh, is to do with drugs. And this uh, commission, if it ever, if this act, it's the, uh, the uh, it's S-714, which I find uh, pretty interesting because 714 was a number, <clears throat> uh, Quaalude, it was a popular drug back in the late 70s and 80s, Quaalude 714. So I think it's I think it's kind of a a karma thing that this legislation is is numerically noted as 714. But anyway, Jim Webb is going to put this commission together. It hasn't been ratified yet. It's legislation, and it's an 18 month long uh, you know look see into a criminal justice system. And it'll probably take uh, 24 months altogether before any type of uh, settlement and recommendations can be decided upon and either enacted or more than likely ignored, but what's uh, and, and it's being hailed by all my all my colleagues in drug policy reform as you know this is the great thing. This is you know some of them have told me it's the Trojan horse for Obama to change drug policy, and that we shouldn't be critical of of President Obama. He's got a lot on his plate. You know, blah 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 blah. So I <laughs> I don't exactly follow that uh, that that line of marching, but. Um, well, you know, what pisses me off, Luke, is that during this whole commission time, this 24 months that it's probably going to take, uh, over 1.5 million Americans, mostly younger ones, will be arrested for the simple possession of marijuana and thrown into the same uh, dysfunctional criminal justice system that uh, Webb ostensibly is, is uh, supposed to uh, check out and change. So... That's what got. That's what pisses me off about the whole deal. And when I tell that to my colleagues in drug policy reform, they just don't get it. And one of them, uh, he, he shall remain nameless to protect the guilty. One of them told me, "Well, these 1.5 million individuals are just collateral damage." And uh, I was really taken aback when uh, when my friend said that. If we're willing to look at 1.5 million lives and their families going through the emotional and financial trauma. And to just write them off as collateral damage just, you know, makes my head hurt. So uh, I think that President Obama should, at the very minimum, 
end all prohibitions against marijuana during this time of the commissioner to set it aside and stand down and not and not put another 1.5 million young Americans into that uh, bullshit criminal justice system. But as we all know, and many of us have known longer than others, is Obama is just a ballless politician, political hack from Chicago. So I'm rambling a little bit here, Luke, but I think it's the opiates. I think it's the Vicodins talking. So what do you, you know, do you, yeah. all right. what, what, so what's, what's, what's going on in your world, you know? I know you're down in well, Dallas and working hard. Yeah, I've been doing some testing down here for a, a client of mine. And while I was down here doing it, thinking to myself, uh, maybe going off in another direction with my business and getting involved in uh, providing these services, uh, solely these services, to other companies. Because uh, really, it's, it's kind of easy. You come down here, they set everything up, and you run the test. And you report the results and be a lot less stressed in my life if I could just go off and do that. So uh, looking looking at ways to make my life less stressful. Well, that is that should be the plan of everyone. I think you'll succeed, Luke. You're you know you got your shit together. Hey, let me let me ask you. Let's get back to the drug topic. You know, yeah. If, if you don't mind, are you, are you following the thing on? Uh, in California, where the Marijuana Policy Project is trying to get this, or I guess they're getting so get it on into a limited success, they're trying to get this uh, marijuana uh, TV ad. It's not for medical marijuana, which I'm impressed. It's just for uh, shows this lady who who calls herself a responsible adult, and I'm you know I'm sure she is, but that she's a marijuana smoker and that she wants to pay taxes. She wants to give uh, the state money for uh, if they were to. Uh, remove the prohibition. So I thought that was pretty interesting in the context that, you know, California's $24 billion in debt, and here's this, you know, very nice, you know, maybe in her 30s or 40s. Hell, I'll probably get shit for that. She's in her 20s, but she looks like she's in her 30s or 40s. And she's just making a very, you know, uh, common sense argument for uh, responsible use of marijuana and for it to be a... Uh, a tax revenue source of tax revenue for the state of California. So they're out there arguing about that shit back and forth. It's getting some limited runs, but I think that's pretty. Uh, I think that's pretty significant. It's the first TV commercial that, uh, except for the one that I ran for a very limited time back when I was whoring my book on the TV, but it's the first one that talks about. Uh, you know, it's crazy not to to legitimize this shit and collect taxes. I didn't know if you'd heard anything about that, had you? I have I've been following that a little bit. Well, and, good uh, man. For a second there, I thought you'd been smoking crack or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it really makes sense. And with California's budget the way it is, and handing out IOUs instead of uh, cash right now. Yeah, that's crazy shit, the isn't it? Source of yeah, it is. I've seen ads for, on Craigslist for it. Yeah, but people are anyway. people are offering to buy the debt for buy your IOUs for eighty cents on the dollar. Yeah, which is actually a pretty good bet. I mean, these people are going to make twenty points on their dollar on their money because the state of California's got to pay. I mean, one way uh-huh. one way or the other, they're going to pay this off. So these guys are making twenty percent on the money. I thought that was pretty good. I mean, everybody can profit in a shit storm, you know. <laughs> yep. But. California, with the way the budget is, they need all the money they can get. Uh, I think they'd be stupid not to do this. 
But, of course, the problem with that is it actually makes sense. Yeah, the problem is that they're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it makes makes an awful lot of sense. But, you know, you're down in the state. Let's get back to Texas for a second. You're down in the state that uh, back in the 60s and 70s, back when all this uh, counterculture shit was hitting the fan and everybody was freaking out, Texas was one of the worst states in the union uh, for drug, for getting caught with drugs. There are people that I believe who are still in jail who were thrown in prison for less than an ounce of marijuana. You could get like five years for having a joint in Texas. So only, wow. only the bravest or perhaps the dumbest of us back in those days traveled through Texas holding any type of uh, any marijuana. They, they were the the worst state in the union to get caught with uh, caught with pot. I don't know. I, I, I don't imagine it's as draconian there now as it was back then. But it was a you know going <laughs> Boyd, Texas, like the plague. <laughs> but uh, I imagine things have changed. But who who knows? So what else is on your mind tonight? Anything going on, or you want to talk about? Uh, say hi to anybody. Sure. Thanks for the show again. I enjoy listening to it. Well, I appreciate that. Actually, the last couple of episodes, but I did listen to the last one right before this one. Um, I woke up this morning with uh, some back ache and was thinking, oh, this will just go away like usual. Well, it's still with me tonight, 12, 13 hours later, and I was thinking, you know what, it would be nice if I could just run down to the the local pharmacy and pick up a Vicodin or two to make me feel better. Wouldn't that, but, wouldn't that uh, be the... <laughs> well, we could always, we could keep our fingers crossed at hope, but that, that would be, I mean, that would be, that would make so much sense for, to be able to go down talk to your pharmacist, have him look you in the eye make sure you weren't incapacitated and actually, you know, were in good enough form to buy this and buy a blister pack of five milligram Vicodins and, be able to take them and, and move the pain away and everybody be uh, be better off. So, yeah, that's what I wish you could do, <laughs> wish you could do too, brother. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I'll tell you, a little five milligram, well, I'm taking 10 milligram because I'm, I'm a big boy, but uh, five milligram biking and a couple of those throughout the day uh, really works. And, uh, you know, millions of, I mean, not to make light of that anymore, but millions of Americans rely upon Vicodins and Percocets and even uh, time-release Oxycontin. Now with this crazy shit they're talking about in Congress where they're, they're getting all over acetaminophen's ass because it creates problems for the liver. Well, hell, we've all, always known that. But they're even talking about banning Vicodins and Percocets. I mean, that's how crazy those fuckers are. I don't think that'll ever happen. I think the pain management uh, associations and the pharmaceutical companies won't let them go that far, but... They want to they want to limit the the uh, number of micrograms in a recommended daily dose down by you know twenty five or thirty percent. But I mean you, you know I get the the only problem with that is if you eat them every single day, you know then you get into into liver damage. But they're so hysterical about shit that they're briefly talked about when they talked about taking Vicodins and Percocets off the market, man, I just about shit myself. I said, no, they can't do that. What, what the fuck am I going to do? I got to start growing poppies or something and scraping the opium off the pods. Well, I hope your back gets feeling better and uh, certainly appreciate the call in tonight. 
And uh, thanks for listening and call me anytime, brother. Great. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Okay, Luke. Same here, my friend. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Well, that was Luke, my 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 libertarian friend down in Dallas, Texas, trying to make a living. He'll succeed because he's a pretty smart guy. So if you were if you were listening, we were talking briefly about the uh, marijuana policy project uh, television ad out in California. I think, as I mentioned to Luke, I think that's a pretty cool thing, mostly because it's the first ad of its kind, except for well, back when I wrote my book, uh, The Naked Truth About Drugs, I spent uh, I spent a pretty good amount of money on uh, cable TV ads, and it took me a long time to get one that was acceptable to the, the to the uh, cable companies. About a three-month process cost me a lot of money to finally get an ad that they liked, and then half of them, when they after they agreed, half of them quit running it after a couple of days because they, I don't know, I guess they got pressure from someone. So uh, I had a hard time. I, I got maybe, uh, you know, 5,000 errors of it uh, before the, everybody just shut it down. So I am uh, congratulate Marijuana Policy Project, uh, Rob Campia's organization, all of his hardworking uh, staff and the like for, for getting this on the TV. I hope that they have, uh, have great success with it and they don't get shut down, uh, shot down like I did with my Naked Truth About Drugs TV commercial. And you can uh, you can see that um, you can uh, watch that commercial. I think that uh, you can go to the Marijuana Policy Project uh, website, and uh, they have it up there. But uh, it's a very nice, very effective commercial. It's a a woman who uh, talks about uh, how she would like to pay taxes, pay taxes to California to um, allow her to legally. Uh, and responsibly, I might add, uh, legally and responsibly uh, smoke cannabis. So, Marijuana Policy Project, uh, cheers to you. Uh, support them. Send them a couple of bucks. Help them get this uh, TV ad on the air. I'm, I, I support it because it's not just uh, the usual medical marijuana. This is uh, the whole deal. This is representing the largest segment of the cannabis consuming public, those who do so recreationally as opposed to uh, medicinally, the numbers of responsible adults who consume cannabis recreationally far, far exceed the number of cannabis consumers for medicinal purposes. Not that one is more or less important than the other, but it's just nice to see that this ad is in support of anyone smoking cannabis, not just those... uh, from a medicinal standpoint. So that was in the news. Uh, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. That just came out uh, last night and today. A couple of other things going on out there in the drug arena. Uh, big news out of Afghanistan. We have decided, and here's a <clears throat> here's a, a brilliant move. Um, actually, we have uh, the U.S. government has decided not to pursue the eradication efforts in Afghanistan um, against the poppies. They have decided that they will let the poppy farmers grow their product and they will try to, uh, the U.S. government and 
everybody else fighting the drug, the good drug war. They will focus on traffickers, upper echelon individuals in that in that business, but they're going to let the the uh, the poppy farmers plant and harvest, and that uh, that goes uh, that goes along with. Uh, one of one of the past two weeks, uh, one of the past weeks, I spoke about a, a Wall Street Journal article that was um, in the May 29th, Friday, May 29th edition of the Wall Street Journal, and it uh, was a story about how the how the Taliban and all the financial support they're getting is vexing, confusing uh, the the United States, and they said that they have found that uh, while the opium trade does provide uh, you know large amount of revenue for the for the Taliban it uh, certainly isn't their sole uh, form of support there's a lot of money coming in from foreign donors as well so that's what has the uh, the government vexed they felt that if they were to eradicate the opium crop that would uh, stop the primary source of revenue for the Taliban and that apparently is not true so now the uh, the United States is vexed. But the interesting thing about this story um, was that it was a, it was accompanied by a picture, and in this picture you see uh, an Afghani uh, poppy farmer harvesting the the opium pods. It's a it's a color picture, and it shows the in the foreground the Afghan farmer and and standing amongst all of these. Uh, about to the high as his waist, all of these tall poppy plants who have shed their petals and have been scored for the opium. And you see this, you know, tarry substance on these opium pods, these poppy pods. It's a very pretty picture. And in the, in the background, what's, what's interesting in the, uh, the background of this picture, we have two um, combat soldiers, two American combat soldiers, just by all intents and purposes, or at least appearances, they tend to be standing idly by as this Afghani harvests the the opium that will eventually turn into heroin on our streets. So that's what had me, uh, that's what shocked me, is that we have two American soldiers, in essence, uh, protecting this uh, Afghani farmer. Now, I don't know how many of uh, my loyal listeners out there know the Constitution, but in the Constitution, treason is a very, has a very succinct and brief description not a lot of wiggle room in our in our uh, in our treason what we consider treason and it's you know well treason is, is um, give you the the shorthand version is aiding and abetting our enemies and then the enemies in our their enterprises and uh, warring against us so we have two combat soldiers standing by as an Afghani harvest opium that will turn into the heroin that hits our streets and it seemed, would seem to me that that would fall into the uh, definition of aid and comfort obviously uh, according to looking at this picture they're not going to do anything in the, and now the official policy of the Obama administration is not to interfere with the uh, growing of opium and to, and to focus on uh, interdiction of the uh, the upper echelons in the distribution system, but that's just such total horseshit. You know, we are allowing the opiums to be harvested and hoping that we can uh, catch catch it down the line. So I don't know about what what you think about uh, aiding and comforting the enemy, but this certainly seems like 
the United States is uh, aiding and giving aid and comfort to the uh, heroin business. So that uh, that is a that is a cause for alarm, as they say. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I feel a little bit better for the poppy farmers, but not not that much because they're still under uh, under the thumb and threat of the drug lords and warlords that control that business. These the majority of these poppy farmers make uh, shit money for their for their opium. Many of them take the money up front so that they can live through the year and the growing season, and then just turn the opium over to the uh, Afghan warlords and drug lords who move it down the road to to American to American streets. So we're going to uh, condone, I guess, the uh, the heroin business. Official policy of the United States is to leave the Afghan farmers farmers alone, the poppy farmers. What we need to do is uh, end a global drug prohibition and buy all the opium. The Afghans can grow. I don't care if we put it in a silo next to the corn, burn it on the lake. I don't care what we do with it. Turn it, sell it to sell it to me, and you would be nice. But we could buy all the opium that is produced in Afghanistan, pay the pay the farmers who are growing it um, a tenfold increase, easily a tenfold increase of what they're being paid now by the warlords and the drug lords, and to create a legitimate base agricultural. Uh, based uh, based to the economy in Afghanistan, and it, that would be one major one major benefit. But probably the most significant benefit is that it would take the the warlords and the drug lords out of the black market criminal business, uh, eliminate their influence and control over large parts of Afghanistan, and it would pacify not only Afghanistan in in, in, in major ways, not completely, but in major ways, pacify uh, pacify Afghanistan and uh, other parts uh, of the region over there. That's what we need to do, and allowing the uh, the farmers to grow the poppy is is just the first step in that in that eventuality where we buy up all of the opium that they can grow. So that was in the news that the U.S. is going to end their eradication efforts in Afghanistan and focus on the rest of the uh, production and distribution uh, end of it. And on a more, uh, more uh, a lighter note, uh, another bit of drug news. I guess it wasn't quite as slow as, uh, as I said at the top, but anyway, another little bit of drug news is Subway, you know, uh, the... Sub company, we all know Subway. Well, they've got a new promotion. It's called Be Yourself, and it stars none other than Michael Phelps. And I just think that's a wonderful deal. I watched the commercial; it's pretty good. And you can tell that Subway is just sticking it up Kellogg's ass for uh, their stupidity and, uh, and reining in their endorsements uh, from from Michael Michael Phelps. So, for all of you who uh, haven't had a subway in a while or who have never had a subway or even thinks subway sucks let's let's support subway go go have lunch tomorrow at subway and and uh celebrate being yourself smoke a doobie before you go get into the the whole proper mood of it all and and watch the michael phelps be yourself subway commercial i think that's 
That's a pretty good deal. I like that a lot. Um, some other notes that I've scribbled down here in the you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll category. We're going to move back into, into sex because there's been some breaking news, as they say, on all the pundit programs. You remember me speaking about Senator Ensign from, uh, from Arizona. Or excuse me, not from Arizona, but from uh, uh, Nevada. He was caught up in a sex scandal with the wife of one of his campaign workers. And uh, there were rumors that he was being blackmailed and he came forward uh, prior to that coming out. But that was pretty silly because he knew it was going to come out anyway. Well, apparently Senator Ensign's parents uh, came to the rescue of their of their <clears throat> wayward son and paid the uh, the family, uh, I guess the the aid that he was blinking and her husband and their kids. They paid out uh, close to a hundred thousand dollars. I think it was the actual number was ninety six thousand dollars to the family. And they have couched, and this is just how how f- far away from from the real world these these politicians have have strayed. They are trying to pass it off with with apparent straight faces that this was money that they paid uh, out of the kindness of their heart, which uh, apparently is a tradition in the Ensign family of paying and, and sharing with those who are less fortunate. So they are couching this whole deal as a gift, and they are quick to note that it complies with all federal, state, and local laws, including campaign finance laws, blah 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 The $96,000 that the Ensign family has paid to the aggrieved family in this little sex scandal is really nothing more than uh, hush money. And I can't be sued for slander, because if I'm going to be sued for slander, so are the people on, on Fox and MSNBC, because they've all said that uh, these gifts are nothing but uh, but hush money. But the interesting part is that they, uh, the press release said that the Ensign, this carries on a tradition of the Ensign family of uh, sharing with those less fortunate. Now that may very well be true that the Ensign family is philanthropic and their heart is in the right place, but it also could imply that <clears throat> this isn't the first time they've had to come to their son's defense and, and pay off women and their families. So you can take it either way you want, but uh, these, are the, these are the kind of things, these are the things that just keep on giving. You can't write this shit, nobody would believe it. You just have to watch it happen and then fold in real life. And, you know, Senator, or not Senator, excuse me, but Governor Mark Sanford, that, that still just gets better. But uh, I wanted to, there was one more thing I wanted to mention about Senator Ensign before I <laughs> took a shot at uh, Mark Sanford. There was an, uh, an email, apparently Senator Ensign sent, again, what are these guys doing with emails that, you know, just because they use computers, that doesn't mean they know what the hell is going on. They put this shit on, in an email, for God's sakes. You hit that send button on an email, and that fucking email is out there for anyone and everyone and forever. Why these guys have to commit the, their their shit to, to to paper is beyond me. But anyway, Senator Ensign sent a, an email to uh, to the young lady, or maybe it was a letter. I don't know. It doesn't matter. 
you know, letter, email, it's all out there. And said, and, and I quote, this isn't the entire text of his mea culpa, but these are direct quotes as, as according to Fox News, I, I, I watched that part tonight, part of his letter from Senator Ensign to the aggrieved young lady. I quote, I used you for my own pleasure. Well, hello, I used you for my own pleasure. And he said, uh, plain and simple, it was wrong. And this is the part that I love, and this is the part that the conservatives always cling to as their as their uh, entree card back into the fold. He goes, plain and simple, it was wrong. It was sin. Well, now that Senator Ensign has confessed his sin, according to the religious people all out there, you know, you do a bad thing, and you, uh, you know, you, you, you admit it, you tell you it was a sin, and you go to confession, and then I guess everything is just hunky-dory because you're right with God, and once you're right with God, it doesn't matter. So anyway, again, Senator Ensign wrote in a, in a missive to his mistress, I used you for my own pleasure. Plain and simple, it was wrong. It was sin. Well, I believe that as most of our politicians, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, whatever, as most, <clears throat> in most instances, I believe that when these fellows get caught, and it's always guys, that when these fellows get caught, the only thing they're really sorry about is the fact that they got caught. I mean, if they were really remorseful, they would have stopped this, uh, you know, Spitzer, all of them. I mean, left, right, it doesn't matter. These guys get up there and they, well, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa bullshit. And the fact is, had they not been blackmailed or been caught, they would have continued to do exactly what they were doing. And the only remorse they have, the only thing that they're sorry for is uh, getting caught. So there you have it, politics of sex. So um, as I look over my desk here, it's 9.42 p.m. We have little Pink Floyd in the background. I'm hoping everybody can hear that. Not paying any royalties, but, you know, what the hell. So uh, as, as we close out the evening, you know, we like to get to our feature that we uh, that we do every week here and it's our feature called cops on drugs this is when we look into our law enforcement personnel and find the ones that are dirty cops doing dirty deeds with usually someone else's drugs so what we have are going to uh, we're going to Memphis Memphis Tennessee uh, in Memphis, uh, a former, they always say former because, you know, once they get caught with their hands in the cocaine jar, they're, uh, they're dismissed. So it's always they make their a former, no longer a cop. He's a former Memphis police officer. He was sentenced just yesterday. Now, this, this is, I mean, this is a killer. And there's, there's some poetic justice to this. He was sentenced to life plus, I mean, plus, I mean, fuck, what else is after life? But he was sentenced to life plus 255 fucking years in the slammer. I mean, life plus a day, I guess, is enough, but they just wanted to whack this boy around to life plus 255 years. 
Now, our police officer by the name of Arthur Sease, S-E-A-S-E, the fourth. I met the third, the second, and the, uh, the first guy is not real. Of course, they're probably not alive, but I'm sure they're not happy seeing their uh, the fourth in line go down in flames. But Arthur Sees the fourth was convicted of 44 counts, 44 counts of uh, civil rights violations, narcotics violations, robbery, and firearm offenses, firearm offenses, 44 counts. And apparently uh, the reason why uh, they, they uh, laid it on Arthur pretty heavily was that he was a leader, a leader of a group of other rogue Memphis cops who they say from uh, back in November of 2003 up through April of 2006, so a good three-year run, they were, they were doing their <clears throat> bad things. They, uh, during this three years, they robbed drug dealers of cash, cocaine, and marijuana. And obviously, uh, probably did a bit of them themselves, but then they, uh, they sold the stolen drugs. Now, there's a, there's a surprise. So uh, they ripped off all this uh, money and drugs, and then I don't know who they sell them to, the, the rival gangs. I mean, what the hell? It, it, just, it just boggles. <laughs> Life plus 255 fucking years. Well, apparently, uh, Arthur, he was linked to at least, I'll get this, 15, 15 armed robberies. I mean, 50, at least 15 times he uh, pulled his guns out and... Uh, or his gun out in his fellow rogue uh, Memphis officers, uh, drew a bead on these uh, drug dealers and at least 15 times held them up uh, with, with their police-issue pistols. Now, uh, three other Memphis police officers, I guess some of the lowers, and uh, two civilians, I don't know who the fuck the civilians are, but they've already pleaded guilty and have been sentenced uh, in the case, but not nearly... Uh, nearly anywhere as long as, as Arthur. Arthur was the ringleader. <laughs> life, life plus 255 fucking years. I'm sorry, I just, I just I get that. That uh, gives me a grin. I mean, even with the opiates, I think it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty good. So, <clears throat> Arthur, good luck. You know, <laughs> once you go to jail to begin serving your, your life sentence plus... 255 years, it will be interesting to see how long you survive in the uh, federal penitentiary system unless they put you in some kind of, you know, personal lockup and keep you away from the other inmates because I think that life plus 255 years might translate into like, you know, 36 days. But good luck, Arthur, you piece of shit police officer, corrupt police officer out of Memphis, Tennessee. Now we're going to go a little bit closer to home. We're going to go to Mississippi. Uh, Bentonia. Where in the hell Bentonia is? But uh, what's interesting about this uh, this dirty cop is that he was just a part-time cop. <laughs> I mean, you know, a part-time cop. I mean, does, does that mean he, he, he gets half the bullets? Or is he like a Barney where he has to keep his, what, you know, his gun unloaded and one bullet in, in his breast pocket of his uniform? I mean, a part-time cop. I mean, you know, <laughs> I guess he couldn't get a job at Seven Eleven. So, um, our our part time police officer's name is Carl Fleming. Carl Fleming's fifty forty nine years old. So, he's uh, 
part-timer. So he was, he was arrested at the beginning of the week uh, on felony drug charges. Uh, he was charged with two counts of selling cocaine. <laughs> Carl Fleming and his uh, cocaine in Bentonia, Mississippi. And they say that, uh, that he's gonna, he's gonna, he hasn't been sentenced yet. He, just, he was just arrested a few days ago. And he will, he will remain behind bars, it says, uh, until his trial. And the reason is not so much that uh, he was charged with two counts of selling cocaine. It's that uh, he's not eligible for bail because he's already under another indictment. Well, let's get this. For beating up a school teacher. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, put that... How big a how big a lights have to go off? How bright a lights have to go off in Bentonia, Mississippi, to realize that they got a bad apple in Officer Carl Fleming? So he he was out. Uh, he is not eligible for bail because he was already under indictment for beating up a school teacher, and he was out on a felony bond for that uh, at the time of his arrest. So since he was already out on felony bond, and he did this stupid shit of selling cocaine. Uh, Carl Fleming is not going to get out of jail until, um, until, well, probably until he serves whatever sentence he is. I hope they give him, I hope they give him a full-time sentence as opposed to a uh, part-time sentence. But uh, we'll stay on top of that one uh, for all my Denhead listeners out there. Um, anybody want to give us a call? Please do so. Seven two seven four nine three twenty two zero five, or if you like to Skype, my Skype ID is the New Libertarian. So there we have our cops on drugs, um, our politicians on their knees, uh, California pot smokers up in arms and trying to get on TV. I think that's a very good thing. Go to a Marijuana Policy Project and. Uh, and check them out. See what you think about that commercial. So that about does it here. Um, I hope my Rush Limbaugh imitation uh, went over pretty well. Actually, it doesn't feel that much difference. I could have done it and not told you, and probably no one have been would, would have been the wiser. But I believe in full disclosure, so I thought I'd tell you up front that I had a pretty uh, pretty good semi-synthetic morphine load going tonight. So, Thursday, next week, we'll be back, same time, same bat channel. And uh, as I close out tonight, I want to leave you with uh, this somber fact. In the last 51 minutes that I have been on the air, and hopefully you have been listening to me, in the last 51 minutes, 85 Americans, mostly younger ones, have been arrested for the simple possession of marijuana. 85, 85 of us in the last hour have been arrested for the simple possession of marijuana and thrown into the criminal justice system that Senator Webb is so hell-bent on changing. So, 85, may you all beat the rap. All right, so until next week, I'll leave you with that and the motto here inside the Opium Den. When good people obey bad law, bad law never changes. (laughs) 